If you live in the world, you know, like I do, <laughs> and also uh, are building meditation practice, it can feel like a big transition to come from our houses, our work, our families, our partners, to a place like this. Sit down, close our eyes, and then, you know, watch the magic happen. <laughs> and for many of us, that magic looks like this wonderful metaphor that um, Ajahn uh, Jeff uses of a monk, sort of a, a cousin in our tradition who'll be here at the end of the month. He says, it's like the mind is a dog on a leash. And you now you, the longer you let the leash out, the more leash you give it, it gets wrapped around every telephone pole and fire hydrant and other dog in the city while you're out in the world. And then you know, when it's time to bring him to heal, we spend a lot of our time pulling the leash back. Get it back, get it back, get it back. And that's what it can feel like, I think. You know, I think it's a very apt metaphor for living in the world and developing a practice. Sit down and bring that wild mind that we let off the leash back to heal, back to our side, back to our center. <clears throat> I remember when I started meditating, I used the breath, I used metta, you know, a variety of techniques to settle the mind and investigate. And then I started using a, a body scan again from Ajahn Jeff, this way of, you know, bringing the attention through the body and kind of all over using the breath to move the attention around and settle the muscles and the mind. And it was, it was very effective. It was the first time I really felt absolutely settled in my body and my meditation began uh, very much uh, progressing. It was quite lovely. And then um, it stopped working. Something was going wrong. I was no longer, you know, sort of settling down uh, on the cushion using this technique and just getting frustrated and really know what to do. And I was down at Abaigiri Monastery, which is a, a monastery that we're affiliated with in California. And Ajahn Pasano here along for Pasano was uh, the abbot at the time and my teacher and I requested a, a meeting with him. And you know I basically said um, this was many years ago, I said, it's not working. <laughs> what do I do? What do I do? I got something to work and it stopped working. And, you know, I'm not one in a, in a group setting or with 
teachers to necessarily ask questions because they usually say enough. Like they say enough for me to contemplate for a week or a month or a year. And uh, I just take that and, and go with it. But I finally had a question. What do I do? What do I do when I, what I'm doing isn't working? And, and he said, well, you know, your mind can become inured to your technique. No, the mind um, got spored. It wants to move on. It, you know, it's ready for a change. And I told him that when I was sitting down, that I would just, because things had changed and not in my mind for the better, when I would sit down, my mind would get really dark, just very crabby. So I'd sit down uh, on the cushion and immediately get really crabby, really grumpy, which was no way <laughs> to get uh, settled. As the Buddha said, uh, uh, the happy mind is an easily concentrated mind. So the grumpy mind is sort of really far off the mark. And Ajahn Pasano had pegged me by that time as the devotional type. You're the devotional type. You know, I'm, I go all in on the incense and the chanting and the bowing and the, and the uh, you know, sort of, I think it's my, my inner, my former Catholic. I like the smells and I like the ritual and that's very settling to me to have kind of um, this sort of thing about, you know. And he recommended that um, I work with what is called in the suttas, the six recollections. It's actually, the, there's 10. Um, but this group of six were recommended specifically to lay people working with the mind and um, in in the suttas the buddha and the other you know disciples when they're teaching they're usually teaching monks you know a lot of the suttas are geared toward monks or nuns or ordained people um, but there are you know there are several suttas that are are specifically for lay people as well the villagers and this was one of them. And the Buddha recommended that um, to brighten the mind in meditation, to brighten the mind in practice, we can try these uh, six different recollections. Now, the first one is to recollect the characteristics of the Buddha. Now, so, you know, I'm not facing the Buddha right now, but if you look, there's a sense of serenity, there's a sense of settledness, there's a sense of maybe even that little bit of a Mona Lisa smile, uh, there's a sense of uh, solidity, there's this kind of holding of the space. Uh, and the Buddha, you know, his, um, his characteristics are uh, recollected by his disciples throughout the suttas. But maybe I would just 
read directly <clears throat> from just one. The Buddha, the worthy one, endowed with such excellent qualities, whose being is composed of purity, transcendental wisdom, and compassion, who has enlightened the wise, like the sun awakening the lotus. I bow my head to that peaceful chief of conquerors, the Buddha who is safe, the safe, secure refuge of all beings. He, the blessed one, is indeed the pure one, the perfectly enlightened one. He is impeccable in conduct and understanding, the accomplished one, the knower of the worlds. He trains perfectly those who wish to be trained. He is teacher of gods and humans. He is awake and holy. There's a phrase that I like even more. I'm gonna see if I can find it. And this is the phrase that I use when I am recollecting the characteristics of the Buddha. The Buddha, absolutely pure, with ocean-like compassion, possessing the clear side of wisdom. So the, the Buddha, absolutely pure. So someone who is a safe, safe person to be around, who is, not going to sort of transgress our boundaries. Um, with ocean-like compassion. I love that turn of phrase. It comes to me all the time. Someone who has ocean-like compassion, so an endless supply of compassion. And transcendental wisdom. So someone who uh, can respond appropriately in every situation. And by appropriately, I mean, you know, from a place of kindness and um, compassion and letting go and not clinging to what we want or not pushing away what we don't. Recollecting these qualities of the Buddha is recollecting the potential for that in our own lives, the potential for uh, that in our own practice. And recollecting the quality of the, the qualities of the Buddha uh, can give us confidence in the path. Okay, there's something there. There's there's an there's an aspirational piece here that I can utilize. 
and then uh, recollecting the, the qualities of the Dhamma. So the qualities of the, the Dhamma, the Buddhist teachings, the path uh, are quite, you know, um, spelled out. You know, the Dhamma is, is always here. The path is always available. Um, we can investigate it for ourselves. Nobody needs to teach it to us. You know. um, it is, uh, it's, it's whole, it's complete. Um, it leads to the end of suffering. And when I recollect the qualities or the characteristics of the Buddhist teachings, the path, um, I will often just alight on one, you know, like uh, the intention toward compassion, the intention toward goodwill. Okay, what does that feel like when I bring up you know, what the Buddha taught was a right intention, the intention to act from a place of goodwill, just bringing that in, letting it settle in my mind, um, noticing what the good results are, and then after a bit, you know, just letting that settle down, maybe move out of my consciousness, and then kind of moving in to just a sitting meditation where I'm, again, focused on the body or focused on the mind. Uh, recollection of the Sangha is, the Buddha said, it's a way for us to bring up confidence in both the path and ourselves, because we are part of the Sangha, practitioners on the path. And recollecting the Sangha can feel like this morning, you know, my guided meditation, um, if that was useful, it was a way of appreciating people holding the space, people um, coming together on this path with this intention, making it available to others. And then um, there are some other ways to recollect our own actions that the Buddha recommended to bring up, create, engender, encourage confidence in ourselves. So for me, you know, I have a lot of confidence in the path. Uh, the Buddha taught it, it's pretty airtight, totally airtight. I can't really find a way around uh, the Buddhist teachings if I um, act, you know, with good intentions, uh, there really are good results. You know, if I act from negative intentions and I can feel the negative results. Uh, but I tend to have less confidence in myself. Oh, this is, this is hard. I'm a very slow learner. I need a few more lifetimes. You know, how will I ever, uh, will I ever make it? 
to the end, you know. And the Buddha taught to recollect our own um, good acts, so our own sila. So the times when we were honest, the times when we uh, were generous, the times, well, more specifically, the times that we didn't take something that wasn't offered to us, uh, the times when we um, encouraged and engendered, you know, kind and compassionate relationships, uh, the times when we helped our friends and neighbors and enemies, <laughs> um, the times when we uh, spoke kindly to others, when we might have done, you know, the opposite, given the right conditions. The Buddha said that we can recollect our own um, integrity, really. Sila is the word that we use in this tradition. Uh, but when we sit down in meditation, we can think about that. We can think about our day. What was the time during the day today or during a week this week uh, that we really brought uh, integrity to a situation where we really handled it beautifully, where we um, were able to hold ourselves and other people in a kind, gentle and compassionate way. We can recollect these things and allow that goodness to flourish in the body, you know, to flourish in the mind during meditation. Again, the Buddha said, a happy mind is an easily concentrated mind. Fourth, you know, like I was mentioning during the guided meditation, uh, and this is one of my favorites, <clears throat> we can sit down in meditation in the very beginning, we can recollect our own generosity. So ways over the past day or two, when we've uh, given of ourselves, our time, our talents, you know, material goods, and done it from a place of good intention. Uh, sit down in meditation, bring the posture to a balanced place. Just bring to mind something uh, that I did that was of help to someone else, that was of use to them, that was brought about from a place of goodwill, good intentions. And it can feel funny, you know, to sit down and like think about, <laughs> think about something good that I did, right? Because gratitude, that feels really nice. Sit down and think about other things, you know, other people, what they did how good it felt to us. And that's beautiful too. But the Buddha taught that to really um, build our own confidence in the path, that we needed to see not only where we were going wrong and make some changes, but where we are going right. And notice the good results of that, how it feels in the body, how it changed someone's day, maybe. And repeat it. 
So right effort on this path isn't just about getting rid of what doesn't work. It's about encouraging these uh, beautiful states of mind, these beautiful actions. And to encourage them, to repeat them, uh, to keep it up, then we have to notice it. We have to pay attention to when we're doing really good things and how it feels. Not necessarily how it's received. As we all know, a good gift can fall flat. <laughs> uh, but how it was given is what's important. And sit down, we can you know, bring up a gift that we gave, whatever that means. Notice the results in the body, what it felt like to give it. Enjoying the fruits of our own choices. You know, letting any of that kind of settle the mind, settle the body. And then after a few minutes, we can just come back to our normal meditation object. But notice maybe, is the mind a little bit brighter? And then, you know, I used to, I had a real problem with generosity when I first started this. I really didn't know how to do any, like, I didn't know how to give people anything. I didn't know how to accept a gift or give one or, you know, I just, I don't know. I just didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> I still don't, but generosity was a tough one for me. And uh, so, you know, I'd sit down and then I'd sit down the next day and be like, Oh, I think I need to add a few, <laughs> I need to add something to my rotation. Like if you find that you're sitting down and recalling the same episode <laughs> day after day, then it's time to step it up, you know, <laughs> do something else that's good and beautiful and kind and generous. And then you have that, right? And then feeling that good karma really is what we call it. The results of that good action uh, with intention. It uh, drives us to do it again. So it just drives us. Oh, that felt really good. I was really glad I did that. Wow, that was nice. I wouldn't have gone outside my comfort zone like that, but it was the right thing to do. And it starts to build a habit of continuing in just this way. You have to look at it clearly though. And then the last one is uh, the recollection of the devas. But you really have to be a devotional type to wrap your mind around this. And I think I gave long for like the eyebrow and recollection of the what. <laughs> and uh, he said a way to think of it. So, of course, like at the time of the Buddha, there were gods and Brahmins and devas. And, you know, there's a whole cosmology that's a religion. So a lot of it is uh, not grounded in reality. It's, it has a lot um, uh, holding it through time and space. And, uh, and he said uh, that the way to recollect the devas is to recollect our, it's to recollect our own potential for happiness. So devas are happy. So they are beings that have done a lot of good and they're living a good life. <laughs> and they're in the heavens. It's a wonderful realm that they're living in. And 
when what it doesn't matter if we believe in that or not you know instead we can if we're interested you know in this kind of way of thinking or way of brightening the mind we can think of this um recollecting the devas as recollect thinking about our own potential oh wow i can be happy i can do things that create happiness and i will feel good because of it and sort of stepping onto that path that i'm in charge of my happiness path <laughs> It's a big sign. It's the I'm in charge of my own happiness path. Now, once we step on that path, it's very uh, freeing because then it's just our choices. And it's just about our choices and then noticing the results of our choices. So tomorrow uh, we have our third um, in a series of four introduction and meditation classes uh, that's been going on on Monday nights and tomorrow we'll be talking about ways to use thinking in meditation because as lay people as villagers you know we're out in the world and then we have to sit down settle the mind settle the body and uh, one of the most effective ways to do it is to know what to think about to know how to direct the mind toward what is good and what is beautiful. And, um, <clears throat> and then watch it settle and then come back to our object of meditation, whether then it's the body scan or the breath or tip of the nose, something like that. But we need these tools in our toolbox are the times when the mind is busy or dark <clears throat> or the mood is low. We want to be in charge of our own happiness. 